This is At Humber, 96.9 Radio Humber's daily in-depth news and public affairs program. I'm Joshua Drakes. And I'm Carter Roy. Today, a toy drive is coming to Humber, allowing students to help spread some joy. A prominent Humber alumni is nominated for an award. And Lakeshore Campus is getting ready to drown you in music. All this and more today on At Humber. In the news today, it's that time of year when food banks are needing us the most. In fact, Feed Ontario is reporting an increase in the number of people who are checking into food banks in their recent hunger reports. Between April and March of this year, more than half a million people in Ontario access food banks with more than 4 million visits. At Humber reporter Carl Lewis speaks with Executive Director at Feed Ontario, Carolyn Stewart, and CEO of the Daily Bread food man, Neil Hetherington, about this growing concern. We've seen it on the news. What is the Daily Bread's annual report so far with regards to food insecurities in this province? So uh, our, our report is grim. Our report is saying that more uh, Torontonians are food insecure than ever before and rising at exponential rates. So before the pandemic, we saw 60,000 client visits per month. Last month, that number was 190,000 client visits. And we've seen more and more young people reporting food insecurities. Are we seeing a lot of young people coming into food banks of late? We are. There's a lot of new faces to food banks. Uh, they are Some of them are much younger. Many are individuals who uh, work full-time. Uh, but cannot make ends meet on, uh, say, two part-time jobs cobbled together without benefits. Uh, and so, and then I guess the third group would be those on fixed incomes with rising uh, costs of, um, uh, of, of groceries at 11.5% annually. And lastly, Neil, what do you think will be the future of Ontarians and Canadians as this growing issue continues? Well, uh, we are absolutely in a crisis. You see that in you know, romaine lettuce now going for some 10 to $12 a head and uh, shortages. And so um, we have to ask fundamental questions about the society that we've got. And um, when you think about food insecurity, it's really not a food issue. It's an income issue. And so do people have the adequate incomes needed to be able to, um, uh, to, to pay for the necessities of life? Is there right to, be, to food being realized? The answer is absolutely not. In recent reports, food banks have been reporting a shortage. What are the reports being put forward by Feed Ontario with regards to this issue right now? So really, it's just a response to the growing need. You know, we're seeing highest numbers on record um, visiting food banks. And then on top of that, as we know, everyone is feeling the economic pressures right now of inflation. Um, so things are getting more expensive. So donors who may have previously been able to donate to support the food bank are either no longer able to donate or ultimately in some circumstances are actually even having to turn to food banks for assistance. Um, and so a lot of food banks who normally may have had two to three months worth of inventory available to serve people are looking at two to three weeks. And so realistically, you know, we are concerned as a network um, that at some point demand may outpace the capacity of our network. 
And that's why we really want to emphasize the importance that we are not the solution um, to food insecurity. We've never claimed to be, um, but rather good public policy is. And you've mentioned the hunger report put forward by Feed Ontario. Could you speak briefly on the numbers that you've been noticing compared to this year and last year, please? Yep. Um, So this year's hunger report um, revealed that food bank use has increased for the sixth consecutive year. Um, It was our network of food banks was accessed by just shy of 600,000 people who visited more than 4.3 million times. So that's an increase in 15% more people and 42% more visits compared to pre-pandemic levels. That was At Humber reporter Carl Lewis speaking to Carolyn Stewart, Executive Director at Feed Ontario, and Neil Hetherington, CEO at the Daily Bread Food Ban. The holidays are coming, and food isn't the only shortage in the GTA. Hopefully it will bring a generous spirit to Humber students. The Department of Public Safety is having a toy drive until the second week of December. At Humber reporter Sarah Hurtado talks with Rob Kilfoyle, Director of the Public Safety Department, to learn more about the drive. What we do is uh, annually, uh, every year, uh, the Department of Public Safety uh, run a uh, a holiday toy drive uh, to collect toys uh, to uh, help, you know, underprivileged uh, children in in the the local community. So what we do is we set up uh, collection boxes uh, at both of our main campuses um, to for students, staff and faculty or anyone from the public, if they chose, uh, to drop off uh, new unwrapped uh, toys. And then what we do is we collect those together and we donate them. This year, we're uh, we're donating half of them to the Toronto Police uh, Santa 911 for Kids uh, toy drive, and also then the other half to the Toronto Fire Department toy drive. And how long has the toy drive been happening at Humber? Gosh, it's got to be coming up on uh, eight or nine years. And usually how many toys would you say Humber receives in the toy drive? That's uh, that's a good question. I certainly I, I well over like 400, I think we have in the, at least at one time. I remember that was the number. So we get we, we usually do pretty good. And you mentioned that you uh, donate to different uh, type of organizations. What others have you donated to before? Yeah, so in the past, we've also donated to the Chum uh, City Christmas Wish. Uh, So we had done that a couple of years ago. Um, And uh, so they're one of the main toy distributors for um, Christmas uh, for for, uh, underprivileged uh, families. And uh, so what I think happens is the, the police and the fire departments send their toys uh, into them directly. So we're supporting uh, the, the uh, emergency services toy drives this year instead. That's awesome. And what would you say are the ideal type of toys that people could bring to the toy drive? Yeah, obviously they need to be new. Uh, they need to be, you know, something recently, you know, purchased and unused. Uh, they need to be unwrapped, and it's interesting. Our the, our team used to go in and help sort toys uh, with the Chum Christmas Wish group, and what we found is um, the older teen, like the teenage, the young, you know, I think it's up to fifteen or sixteen that they they do. Um, 
those kids often, uh, there's not very much set aside for them. Uh, and then also five to nine uh, area also seems to, uh, you know, not get as many toys as uh, they could. So, you know, obviously any age group would be, would be fine. Um, you know, but I think, you know, cheap toys, like the, the, you know, the kind of you can get at dollar stores and things are not really great because they don't tend to last long and they break and they, they can be disappointing um, to young children. So, you know, we're not asking people to go out and spend a, a lot of money, but um, certainly, you know, sticking to sort of mainstream retail outlets, uh, purchase toys, um, you know, would be would be great. So with that said, are there any specific type of toys that might not be appropriate to donate? Uh, I'm not aware of anything that obviously anything that's, uh, you know, age inappropriate, right? So if there are games and things that that might be, you know, might have, um, you know, questionable, you know, material, sexual, you know, violence, those kinds of things, probably not, not something that's worth bringing, but actually any, you know, anything that can be fun, um, you know, for, for children, certainly, um, you know, things like sports toys and, and uh, activities uh, are, are important for, uh, for kids. And can you remind me again, the locations in which people can go and donate? There's collection boxes, wrapped in Christmas paper, uh, located all over <clears throat> the two campuses. Yeah, they're all, they're all over the place. Uh, you shouldn't have any trouble finding them. And if you do, you can have people come directly to the uh, security office at either campus, and we'd be happy to take their toys. Okay, and my final question is, until when is a donation open? Yeah, we'd really like to get our do the donations in uh, by Wednesday, the 14th of December so that kids can get those toys by Christmas Day. That was at Humber reporter Sarah Hurtado speaking with Rob Kilfoyle, Director of Public Safety at Humber. Still to come, a prominent alumni of Humber has been nominated for a prestigious award. This is at Humber on 96.9 Radio Humber. I'm Carter Roy. Stay with us. Radio Player Canada, nearly every style of music, news, sports, talk and entertainment in both official languages, anytime, anywhere. Hear 96.9 Radio Humber on the Radio Player Canada app. Get the free app through the App Store and Google Play. Dedicated, caring and trained, every St. John Ambulance Brigade volunteer is certified only through countless hours of first aid and CPR training. The brigade volunteers you see at community events continue a hundred-year tradition of quick and effective first aid. Brigade members volunteer their time to be first on the scene with the most up-to-date first aid skills. Thousands of Canadians share this commitment and wear the St. John Ambulance Brigade badge with pride. Canada's recognized leader in first aid, St. John Ambulance. At Humber continues now, I'm Carter Roy. Humber has many remarkable alumni, and Mark Cameron, a former paramedic student here at North Campus, is certainly among them. He has worked in Ukraine to assist in life-saving care with orphaned children and provided emergency care and vaccinations to over 1.4 million children in Syria. 
His extraordinary humanitarian work has been recognized by the United Nations, the World Health Organization, as well as the Canadian and British governments. At Humber reporter Barbara Patrocino talks with him about how Humber helped him to achieve his goals and his most relevant work. How important do you believe that Humber was for your success? Well, Humber was critically important to my success. You know, I came here as a really young man uh, uh, and I looked around at a lot of different programs. Back then, I've always been the type that researches everything and checks out every detail. What Humber had back in the late 80s, uh, and I assume that they still have now, is not only did they give you the classroom work, and I, I said this at the awards ceremony last night, but after a morning of uh, classroom work, we'd go out into the, into the ravine here in the back of Humber, and we'd get wet, and we'd get dirty, and we'd get muddy. And uh, it was always a, a guess as to what the instructors had up for us. You know, Humber has always had a philosophy of turn the classroom into real world. And, and that is what sets Humber apart from some other programs. You know, in leadership in paramedicine, we could tell the Humber students from all the other students. They didn't have to tell me where they were from. I could tell by watching them in, on a call, on a real call as a student, still with their preceptors, but I could tell it's, you know, they were often amazed. You know, I'd say, when were you at Humber? How did you know I was a Humber student? You know, we didn't always wear badges like they do now where you can tell where the students are from. They just wore a blue shirt, but I could tell the Humber students from every other student. Uh, and I'm sure you can to this day. And how was your experience with the ceremony yesterday? Well, the ceremony was uh, very humbling. You know, it was quite an impressive crowd of people. And I'll be bluntly honest. I mean, a lot of winners say, oh, you know, I didn't think I was going to win. I really did not. There was such a stellar crowd there um, from all over, uh, in every category from all over the province. Quite, quite an honor to be put forward by my school. And, you know, I have to say, you know, like the, the Queen of England has given uh, Simro awards. I, I don't want to detract from that. That was a real honor as well. But being put forward by my former college, it was actually a bigger event to me. And how, how was the feeling of being nominated by the province? For me, it was the fact that my, you know, my alma mater, my college, put me forward for the award. And what do you like to share about your professional career? You know, I think when it comes to our career, I sum it up on the back of my business card. Everyone who works for Simo has to have something on the back of their business card, a motto that means something to them. Otherwise, they don't get hired. I simply ask my employees, you know, tell me about your motto. What's your ethos? In a sentence, tell me something about you that makes sense. On the back of my business card, um, I have a, a statement from a very famous doctor and uh, the statement is, a person's a person no matter how small. And of course, that doctor's Dr. Zeus. It's not even a medical doctor. But that's what we believe. Every patient counts. Every patient's important. Every patient that's before us is the most important patient that we have. Um, Simro can't fix the world, but we can fix one patient at a time in front of us at a moment in time. And how did you start your initiative? Oh, started with just a couple of small town guys, myself and Dr. Uh, Jay DeMann. The war in Syria was happening. Uh, children were being massacred literally uh, every night on TV. We were watching this. Dr. DeMann went to medical school in Damascus, although he's Canadian. He went to Damascus for medical school. He went to the United States for his pediatric license and then came back to Toronto. You know, the two of us collaborated. so. One of the things we always highlight as well is, is, and that's why it's a little awkward getting an award, like the award's often given to one person, but it's really not an award to one person. What Simro has become well known for, you know, internationally famous for, is really a collaboration of hundreds of people, most of whom, you know, will never be recognized on paper for one reason or another. Um, you know, some of our most important people, Dr. Halid Al-Malaji, uh, Dr. Badur Al-Asil, 
you know, these are really, really great humanitarian people who will never get a piece of paper with an award on it like I got last night. So I try to take that in stride. It's really not my award. It's, it's a team award. What would you say that it was the, the contribution of your team to this award? Well, you know, my team's the most heroic group of people you've ever met. Um, you know, it's almost emotional to talk about the contributions of some of them because some of them died. Um, we got nominated last night for vaccinating 1.4 million people. Um, we lost 10 doctors doing that, you know. What is the most rewarding part of all this? You know, the most rewarding part uh, to this to me, um, both Dr. Demand and I have had conversations about this. I had a dream one time that we were in Damascus, which we've never gotten to visit because we're considered criminals there. We're considered terrorists, if you can believe that, in Damascus uh, against the, uh, the leader of Damascus, who's probably the most vicious dictator terrorist of uh, a modern time. Um, but I had a dream that we were sitting on a street corner in Damascus and two parents came up. A little child came up to us and, and, and was bothering us. And the parents were very apologetic that this child was bothering us in this dream. And they came over and apologized and picked the child up and carried the child away. And unbeknownst to us, they were patients that we'd treated. Um, that's, the, that's what we work for. We never recognized that they were our patients. They never recognized that we were their doctors. But this is the ethos that we have. That we, you know, we treat these people and they never know our names. That's our goal. So it's a little uncomfortable when people start to know your name because that's not our ethos. Our ethos is to do this work without people knowing our names. And know? what is it, the, the true award then? The true reward is in a different life than this one. My Muslim colleagues say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, you know, everything you do is for a different life than it is here. That was Barbara Patricino talking with primary care paramedic and founder and co-president of the Canadian International Medical Relief Organization, Mark Cameron. Straight ahead, Humber Lakeshore is set to give music lovers a show to remember. You're listening to At Humber on 96.9 Radio Humber. Stay with us. Did you know that oral health is equally essential to your overall body health? Poor oral health can increase the risk of heart disease, preterm birth, and inflammation that can spread to the rest of the body. Bacteria can be spread from one person to another just by kissing them. If your partner has untreated gum disease or cavities, that can also be spread to you. Campus Dental provides a full range of dental services with exceptional quality of care. Learn more at loveyourteeth.ca. From coast to coast, people are tying red ribbons on more than just gifts this year. Join thousands of Canadians and show your commitment to safe and sober driving with Mad Canada's Project Red Ribbon. This small but mighty ribbon is a visual reminder to everyone to drive sober, especially during the holiday season when the risk for impaired driving is high. Why not show your support? Mad Canada's Project Red Ribbon. Tie it. Wear it. Share it. Live it. Donate today at mad.ca and drive sober. At Humber continues, I'm Carter Roy. Just minutes from now, the latest news, sports, and weather. And coming up in our next half hour, an early childhood education programs course has just been honored as a finalist for the Canadian Museum of Nature Inspiration Award. But first, calling all music lovers, Humber's Lakeshore campus is gearing up for a noteworthy event. Performance Week is just around the corner. 
Starting next week, the event will feature dozens of ensembles and dozens of genres of music. At Humber reporter Joshua Drakes speaks with Jason Marai, Associate Dean of Music and Fine Arts at Lakeshore Campus, to learn more. So, tell me about this week of music that uh, is coming up. Absolutely. This is an exciting time for our Bachelor of Music students. Uh, this is their performance week where students who have been enrolled in their ensembles, which they've been practicing since probably around the second week of September or third week of September, um, this is the showtime for them. Uh, and then our program has over 30 different ensembles that will be demonstrating this week uh, on December 5th to December 9th. So super excited to, to see it. Can you tell me a little bit about these ensembles? What type of genres do they play and uh, how many are there? They range from all across different types of genres. So over 30 different ensembles, Joshua. So you have anything from like acapella to advanced Latin jazz, to funk and soul, to country, to African rhythms. We really are capturing so much of the global world during this performance week. And all of our students are involved across the realm on that. You mentioned before that this is all performed by students. Are these going to be graded performance as well? or are they just purely for demonstration? Absolutely, it's part of the course curriculum that their performance will be adjudicated and they will be adjudicated mostly by our full-time professors, um, but they have been led and developed by instructors who are subject matter experts in a particular genre. So they've been trained and developed for weeks now up to this point, uh, and then our adjudicators will provide that feedback uh, and give it to the instructor who will then share that with, with the students. Uh, and this is really great because students who are playing this week will get an opportunity uh, to perform again in the winter semester. We'll have another week of performance week. So it's just further development to help a student become that excellent performer that they hope to be. So part of the goal for this isn't just a performance, but it's also an experience for the students for them to get a feel of what it's like to perform in an ensemble before, you know, potentially an audience. Absolutely. Not just in an audience, but being on stage checking out how the sound is, uh, like just being in the rhythm of the actual live experience of performing, like anything can happen. You know, how do you deal with sound and distractions, audience applause, but also being focused in your performance. So it really is a captivating experience for our students. And this performance week, were you able to do this during COVID or was there a break because of pandemic restrictions? That's a really good question. I, I am new uh, to Humber in this position. So uh, I, I'm assuming that it did not run during COVID and maybe there might have been a restrictions uh, with or maybe a, a restrictions for, for last year. I don't have a direct answer for you for that, but I will say that this year is kind of the idea of returning back to what was before pre-COVID. So um, the auditorium is open. It's open to family, friends, uh, current Humber students, uh, you know, anybody that really wants to come and see our talented students. So invite everybody to participate and join. Because it's open for anyone to attend, do you usually get a large turnout? Because I've noticed that uh, while trying to do research for this performance, there's not a whole lot of publicity for this thing. Well, we certainly try to publicize it as much as we can, even with our, you know, our internal department, even with students themselves and the instructors. So uh, having it being um, referenced here with Humber Radio is a certain good step for us. 
Um, but so, and this is where we're encouraging everybody to, to, to bring your family, bring your, your loved ones and supporters. I'm certainly spreading the word even to my own loved ones to come, come check this out. And I myself are going to be planted in that auditorium all week to hear our students. Now, is there any particular piece or ensemble that you personally are looking forward to hearing specifically? That's a tough question, Joshua. Uh, for me, I, I am so drawn to music. Uh, that wherever rhythm takes me, uh, I want to be there. So I have my shoes polished. I have, I, I'm ready uh, to experience all that our students have to perform. And I think it's going to be an exciting time for everyone, especially with a different type of genre. So I'm super excited to see what our students are going to bring. One last question for anyone that could be potentially tuning in today to listen. If you could describe this opportunity to someone that isn't familiar with music in one sentence, something to really get their attention, what would you say? I would say here is a fantastic opportunity to attend a free concert with such talented Humber music students. Uh, come on by, you're gonna absolutely enjoy it and you're gonna be mesmerized by the talent that we have in our program. So I hope to see you there. That was at Humber reporter Joshua Drakes speaking with Jason Marai. And that's it for this half hour of At Humber. Coming up next, the latest news, sports and weather. You're listening to 96.9 Radio Humber. Stay with us.